Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope that the message that you are about to hear not only encourages you, but helps you follow Jesus like never before. If you feel blessed by this teaching, I wanna challenge you to do two things. First of all, share this with someone that you know needs to hear this. And second of all, I want you to consider giving back to the ministry so that other people that just like you could also grow in their relationship with Christ. To do so, simply go to cfmiami.org give, and there you can follow the instructions, all right? Thank you so much. We hope that you enjoy this teaching. Well, hey, everybody. Hey, God bless you. Thank you so much. Hey, I love that song. Let me tell you about my Jesus, amen? Because that's what Christ Fellowship is all about, and that's what I want to talk to you about today from the Word of God. Well, if you're a guest with us for the first time today, my name's Rick. I serve as one of the teaching pastors here, and well, thank you so much. By the way, I want you to know that I have not, some people think I moved to Charlotte. I have not. I am still here in the city that I love, Miami. Love this town, love this city. And you know, next week, Pastor Omar, by the way, I just sit back like you do and take in the Word of God. I love it uh, because it's so powerful from our pastors. And this week, before we launch into our Christmas series, we want to bring a message from Luke chapter 15 to sort of get us thinking about what God's calling us to do this Christmas. So, um, if you remain standing, if you have your Bibles, great. If you don't, it'll all come up on the screen, and you can follow along with us that way. Here's one of those scriptures that a lot of you know. Here's what it says, Luke 15, verse 1. The Bible says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. I love that. They were approaching him. And so he told them this parable, verse 4. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after, and go after the lost one. Everybody say the lost one. Lost. Everybody say the lost one. Lost. Yeah, goes after the lost one until, until he finds it. Well, you can grab a seat at all of our campuses and I want to set things up by sharing this with you today. Back in the day when Rod and I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, we went one afternoon to this fabric store on the west side of Charlotte. Yeah, Rhonda wanted to buy some cloth for a, a garment that she wanted to make. Anyway, with us on the trip over there were our two young daughters, Natalie and Rebecca. Natalie was about eight years old at the time, and Rebecca was about five years old. This is a picture of her right about that time. Yeah. Now, stay in the story, because this fabric store was located on the west side of Charlotte in sort of a bad section of town. Lots of drugs, crime, prostitution. And not only that, it was in, it was in a, a virtually empty mall. There was hardly any other stores in there but this fabric store. Anyway, the four of us, we go over there, we get out of the car, and the four of us walk through this mall, we turn into the fabric store, and then we make our way all the way to the rear of the store where this particular piece of cloth was that Rhonda wanted to look at. 
But folks, as soon as we got to the rear of the, of the store, Ron and I both realized that Rebecca, the five-year-old, was no longer with us. Yeah, she had gotten separated from us so long, somewhere along the way. You know, Rhonda thought I had her. I thought she had her. Now, as you might imagine, I wasted no time backtracking to the front of that store, and I was looking up and down every aisle, searching, trying to find her, but nothing. And so I doubled back to the rear of the store, you know, pretty confident that Rhonda had found her back there, but when Rhonda's eyes met my eyes, our hearts sank because we both realized that neither one of us had her. And so Rebecca, Rebecca was lost. Now, I want you to follow me here because Rhonda quickly set into motion the paging system inside the store and outside in the mall. And I started running up and down every aisle. And I was shouting to the top of my voice, Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. But no Rebecca. Now, folks, by this time, I was literally shaking because, again, this was a pretty sketchy side of the town. And not only that, it was right in those days when the Adam Walsh story had just broken, that, that little boy that had been abducted. And so I, I feared the worst for her. In fact, I recall thinking, you know, I don't even have time to call the police, this was in the days before cell phones. I thought, I've got to seal this mall off. In fact, I'm, I have to seal the whole thing off because if somebody's got Rebecca and I don't find her right now, I may lose her forever. If I don't find her right now, she may be taken far, far away from me. That's what was going on in, in my mind. Now, folks, let me tell you what I didn't do in that moment. Here's what I didn't do in that moment. I didn't go back in the store and find my other daughter, Natalie, and say, Natalie, your sister Rebecca is lost. We may never find her, but it's okay because at least I still have you. That would have been crazy, right? I mean, if the truth be known, Natalie never even crossed my mind in that moment. You say, why? Because she was secure. She was safe. My concern in those moments was for the one that was lost, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love them both dearly, but here's the point. Here's the point. When something is lost, that which is lost becomes the priority. If anything... I wanted Natalie to help me find the one that was lost. And so, folks, I ran out into that mall, and I was looking for the one that was lost. And I wanted to find the one that was lost. And I got to tell you, in that moment, I would have died for her. In that moment, I would have killed for her if necessary. You say, well, Rick, what happened? What happened? I'll tell you what, hold that question. Yeah, just for a moment, for a little while, hold that question, I'll come back to it. Because I want to bring all of that scene over to this text today. Because, folks, what an image of God's great priority today. And by that, I mean just like my greatest priority in that moment 
was to find the one that was lost. Listen, just like that, this is my proposition today. This is what I want you to walk out the door with today. God's great priority in this moment, in this day that we live in, is to find the ones who are lost, the ones who are far away from him. He wants to find them and save them because if he doesn't find them, if they are not found, if they are not saved, listen, the reality is they will be lost forever in a place called hell. So let me tell you, Christ Fellowship, what God does not do in this day. He does not call those of us who have been found together, those of us who have been saved, and say, listen, Christ Fellowship, all of those people out there in Miami, they're lost. They're going to die an everlasting death. But it's okay, because at least I still have you. To the contrary, God pleads with us. God challenges us, and God calls us to join him in the mission of this day. To find those who were lost and to bring them to him that, he might, that they might receive eternal life. Because you see, the point again is that God's great priority today is to find the lost. And listen, to drive this point home, that point home, in this narrative, as you're going to see, Jesus tells three short stories about a lost sheep about a lost coin, and about a lost son. Now, you might be saying, wait, 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 Rick, hold on a minute. What do you mean people are lost out there? What do you mean by that? Lost from what? What does that mean? And you might be saying, Rick, if God is calling us to bring lost people to him, how do we do that? You know, what is the strategy for bringing lost people to Christ? How do we do that? Well, listen, Jesus answers both of those compelling questions in this narrative today. But he begins, he begins with this sobering reality about lost people. Now, today I'm going to have to teach this versus preaching it. So, I, I want to encourage you to put your brain in gear a little bit and think through what Jesus is saying here because it's so compelling for us. So two thoughts about lost people. Write this down as number one if you have your listening guides. Number one, lost people are separated from God. Lost people, just like Rebecca was separated from me in that moment, in this day and age, lost people are separated from God. Now, with that in mind, let's pick up the narrative in verse 1. You follow with your eyes as I read it. The Bible says, all the tax collectors, who's that? And all of the sinners were approaching him. I love that. Were approaching to listen to him. Now, stop right there. Because there are two kinds of people who are approaching Jesus in this scene. Tax collectors and sinners. Here's what you need to know about both of them. They are both deemed as being lost by Jesus. Jesus deems them both as being lost, which is why, which is why immediately after this happens, Jesus goes into the stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on for a moment because to be lost in the Bible 
To be lost is the Bible's way of describing all people who have not been found by Christ. Who are lo- they are lost from God. They are far from God. They are separated from Him. And folks, they are in danger. Here's the point. They're in danger of being lost forever. And what makes matters so complicated, listen to this, is that lost people have a tendency to run away from God, don't they? And they run from God because they think in their mind God doesn't like them. They think in their mind God is mad with them when in reality he's mad about them, not mad at them, but that's what they think. And so they, they tend to stiff-arm God. And by the way, religion has a way of reaffirming what they think about him. Think about the apostle Peter. Before he was saved, before he knew Jesus, the first time he saw the power of Jesus, his response was not to run to Jesus, but he said, go away from me. Why? He said, because I am a sinful man. He thought he needed to get away from God, that God would hate him. But Jesus, who was God Almighty in the flesh, brings us the image of a God who meets us not like this, but who meets us like this, and he welcomes us, even sinners, lost people. Example in point, write this down as A. Tax collectors found Jesus to be approachable. Now, with that in mind, listen to verse 1. I love this. It says, all the, what's the next two words? All the what? Say it like you mean it. All the, yeah, tax collectors. That's significant. And sinners, I love this, were approaching Jesus to listen to him. Literally, they they were gathering around him. Now, you might be wondering, what's up with the tax collectors? Why does it say that? Well, just this. I cannot imagine a more hated person. than an Israeli tax collector in Jesus' day, right? Don't get me wrong. Think about it. Few of us want to hang out with the IRS agent, do we? Well, folks, it was that way, but far worse in Jesus' day. Because you have to remember, at this time in history, Israel was an occupied territory. You remember the Roman Empire had come in and just, just conquered the entire country. And they occupied the land of Israel politically. They occupied it militarily. And they began to extract brutal taxation from the people. And check this out. In order to get the taxes from the people, they hired Israeli men as the tax collectors because they knew the language. And they paid them very, very handsomely. But you had Israeli men collecting taxes from Israeli men and then giving it to the Roman government. I don't have to tell you, the Israeli people despise them, right? But folks, even worse than that, the religious leaders hated tax collectors. The priests shunned tax collectors. The rabbi stiff-armed a tax collector. A tax collector couldn't even approach them. But in this scene, these outcast tax collectors begin to approach Jesus. The, the Greek word here is engidzo. I always tell you, your Bible's written in 
originally written in Greek and then translated to French, English, Latin, whatever. But the word is in Gizzo, and it literally means to, they were gathering around him. And to the shock of the religious group, he welcomed them. And they came to him, these sinners. <laughs> but there's even more. Write this down as B. I love this. Sinners found Jesus to be approachable. Sinners. Doesn't that make you feel good? Sinners found Jesus to be approachable. Listen to this. All the tax collectors and the, everybody say, and the sinners were approaching him. And everybody heads up because that word sinners is, is a translation of the Greek word harmartia, and it, it generally means the unrepentant. The unrepentant who, who walked in sin. That's how it generally means. But specifically in this context, it refers to people, listen to this, to people had, who had Jewish people who had walked away from the Jewish religion, religion, intentionally walked away from it. You see, you have to realize in that day, most Jewish people, if not all Jewish people, were literally born into the Jewish religion. They were born into the religion of Phariseeism. They were born into the religion of Sadduceeism, some type of Jewish religion. And it was a tradition that was handed down. And they were expected to embrace that religion by keeping all of the formalities, all of the rituals, all of the routines, all of the rules. By the way, that's what religion usually is, isn't it? You go to the religious place, on the religious day, at the religious hour, and you grind your way through the rituals, through the routines, through the traditions. And when you finish, you can check God off your to-do list. And you sort of leave God there. He's compartmentalized to that day, that place, that time, and you, you sort of leave without him. There's no relationship between you. But you see, a lot of these Jewish people did that for their lifetime. And after a while, it just meant nothing to them. And so they walked away from it. And the religious leaders would say to them, if you walk away from this religion, you're walking away from God at the same time. Because to them, they were inextricably linked together. But the truth is, the truth is, these sinners... <laughs> Their problem was not with God. Their problem was with religion. And God does not seek religion with people. He seeks a relationship with them. Amen? He does not seek religion. He seeks a relationship with you. And I'll say more about that in a moment. But back to the text. Because these sinners who had walked away from the religion are in this scene walking towards the Son of God. They're approaching him. And here's why they approached him. Write this down as little number one. There was something about Jesus that attracted the lost to him. The passage says all the tax collectors, these are the dregs and the sinners were approaching him. These were the irreligious, ungodly people who were approaching Jesus. Why? Because again, Jesus created a climate about himself that attracted lost people, that drew lost people to him. 
And even though these irreligious, ungodly, sinful people were nothing, were, even though Jesus was righteous and holy, they were not put off by that. And even though, listen, even though they were nothing like him, they liked him. And he liked them, and they liked being with Jesus. And he liked being with them. He liked being with lost people. In fact, write this down as two. I love this. Jesus welcomed the lost and created relationships with them, just like he does today. They love to be with him. Listen to what, listen to what verse 1 says. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and does what? He eats with them. Now listen, again, these lost people liked being with Jesus, and he liked being with them. He welcomed them. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, maybe you're that irreligious person, maybe you walked away from it years ago, Can I tell you what Jesus would, and this may be the reason you're here today. Can I tell you what Jesus would do if he were here, if you're lost, and you're kind of, you're kind of ungodly or whatever? Let me tell you what he would do. He would welcome you. He would be glad to see you here. He would probably invite you to eat with him after the service. That's what he would do. You see, my point is, when Jesus was on this planet, he spent the majority of his time not hanging out with the religious group, but hanging out with lost people. And he was on a mission to do whatever it would take to find those lost people and to bring them who were far away from God into a close relationship with God. And Christ Fellowship, here's the point. Write this down as big number two. This is so important. Lost people were Jesus' immediate priority. They were his immediate priority. Listen to verse 1. All the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to him. By the way, that, 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 that phrase, approaching, it's in the imperfect tense in the Greek text. You say, meaning what? Meaning not only were they approaching them, it means they had been approaching him for some time. And they're doing it again. They're approaching Jesus, but watch what happens. And the Pharisees and the scribes were, what? Complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And you have to understand, the Pharisees, the scribes, these were the religious elite of the day. These were the sanctimonious men who walked around in their, in their robes and forced the rules and regulations and the religious religion on people. And, and they were offended that Jesus was hanging out with lost people. They didn't like it. And they wanted to know, why are you doing this? And so, folks, to answer their question, and, and maybe ours, why do you hang out with lost people, Jesus? To answer that question... Jesus tells three parables, three parables. Look at verse 3. So, they're complaining about him hanging out with lost people. So, Jesus told them this, this what? This parable. A parable is just a story. It's a tale. And the first one he tells is about a lost sheep. I love it. Watch what he says. He says, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them? 
does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after which one? The lost one until he finds it. Everybody heads up because as soon as Jesus said that, every guy in the crowd would have said, that's right, that's right. You got 100 sheep and you lose one of them, you make sure the 99 are secure, but you go find the one who is lost. Illustrating this truth, when something is lost, that which is lost becomes the focal point of your attention not that which is secured. Just like when Rebecca was lost, I didn't go to Natalie and say, Natalie, at least I have you. No, I wanted Natalie to help me. Why? Because, because my great priority in that moment was to find the one who was lost, to seek her and to find her. That's the nature of things when something is lost. Jesus said, you want to know why I hang out with lost people all the time? It's because they're lost. You want to know why I hang out with sinners? You want to know why I hang out with tax collectors? It's because they're far away from from God. Look at what he says again in verse 4. It's almost rhetorical. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one? One of them doesn't leave the 99 in the open field and go after which one? the lost one, the one who is lost until he finds it. Everybody lean in because there were a lot of shepherds in those days. And every shepherd in that crowd totally connected to this because this was a slice out of everyday shepherd life in Israel. Think about it. Shepherds had a very difficult and dangerous task. In Palestine, pasture Land was scarce. The central plateau was narrow and then dove off into these steep, steep and deadly cliffs. And the beasts of prey were out there just waiting on a sheep to come by or to fall into the abyss. By the way, the shepherd was always personally responsible for the sheep. And the good shepherd actually loved the sheep. The good shepherd cared for the sheep. The good shepherd would even name his sheep. He named them, you know, Spot or Fluffy or Limpy. And the good shepherd would do whatever it took if one of them got lost to find it. He would go to no ends to find any sheep who got lost. In fact, I want you to check out this painting. This is a masterpiece from from an artist named Alfred Asher Saud. And it's his great masterpiece. And if you look at it, it captures the essence of Jesus' parable. I want you to look closely at, at the shepherd. The shepherd has left the flock to find the sheep that's lost. And the lost sheep, if you look, is in a very perilous situation. He is on the side of a, of a cliff face. And he's in grave danger of falling into the abyss. And up above, the bird of prey is just waiting on his next meal to happen. But the shepherd is prepared to go to any length to save the animal. 
If you notice, he's holding on to the rock face with his fingertips. His balance is precarious. Has he reached over too far? He doesn't seem to have a good foothold. His staff at this point is useless. And look at the limb. Look at that limb. His eyes are totally focused on the face of the shepherd and vice versa. And I love it because the shepherd has found the lost sheep. And he is poised to save the sheep. And folks, when he saves the lost sheep, here's what happens. Here's the reaction. Listen again to verse 4. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you, I love this, in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. Don't you love that story? Yeah. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If that story connected to all the guys in the crowd, the next story that Jesus connected just captured the heart of every girl in the crowd. Because listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, or what woman who has 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. Now, folks, this was an explicit illustration. Because in ancient Palestine, when a man was going to ask a woman to marry him, to be engaged, he didn't give her an engagement ring. What he would give her was a headband. And stitched into that headband would be six, or, or I'm sorry, ten precious silver coins. It was like her wedding band. And so Jesus says, girls, listen, if you lost one of those coins, would you not do everything to find it? You wouldn't say, well, at least I've got nine. No, every girl in the crowd went, are you kidding I'm sweeping the floor. I'm lighting the lamp. I'm looking under the couch. I'm everywhere. I'm searching till I find that lost coin. Jesus says, now everybody heads up. That's the way God feels about lost people. Times are trillion. Just like the shepherd is trying to find the lost sheep. Just like that bride is trying to find that lost coin. Jesus says, he and the father we're on a mission to find lost people. In Christ Fellowship, he wants us to join him in the mission. You say, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do you get involved in that? Well, I want you to write this down as big number three. Jesus left us a pattern to reach the lost. You and me, we who are found, he left us a pattern. He left us a blueprint. And here it is. I want to give you two thoughts. Invest and invite. Everybody say invest. Everybody say invite. Everybody say invest. Everybody say invite. You say invest in what? Write this down as little number A. 
Jesus invested in relationships with the lost. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners, and I love this. He, he does what? He eats with them. Now, folks, for someone to invite you to eat with them, was the most personal invite in that culture that you could receive. Because if somebody said, eat with me, it wasn't so much about eating. It was more about getting to know them and them getting to know you. You spending time with them and them spending time with you. It's about you hanging out together. And folks, the point is, this is what Jesus did. He left heaven. He stepped across the stars. He came to this planet. Why? To hang out with lost people and to find them. And listen, he leaves us a blueprint, a pattern, because Jesus carved out of his schedule time to spend, to spend with lost people, to hang out with them, to get to know them. And that's what he's calling us to, to get to know your lost neighbor, to get to know your lost coworker, to get to know that lost person who checks out your groceries or that person that you do business with, to get to know them. It doesn't mean you have to get all into their life, but to, to know them, to become friends with them, invest in the relationship. You say, what do I do after that? Invite them. Invite them. In fact, write this down as B. Jesus invited people to hear the message of hope. Listen to this again. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. To listen to him. By the way, the word listen there, it's a translation of the Greek word akouo, which is the word we get acoustics from. And it literally means to listen and to hear. In other words, they were hearing Jesus. Think about it. They had heard the message of the religious elite about how bad they were, that they were sinners, that they were despicable. They had heard that message. They had heard the message of being, of being shunned. But Jesus invited them to come close. He opened his arms. And when they come, came close to him, they heard his message. And what they heard was a message of grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. They heard the message that God loved them. They heard the message that God cared about them. They heard the message that God had a plan for their life. And listen, when they heard the message, the impact of hearing that message for the first time, and understanding for the first time, it was almost like hearing physically for the first time. It had that kind of impact on them. In fact, I want you to take a look at this, this video in just a moment. It's of a young girl who is deaf. She's never heard. She could relive, but she could never, she had never heard before. But in this video, she's fitted with a device, and all of a sudden, she hears for the first time. I want you to watch her response. Take a look. <laughs> it's like so close. <laughs> there you go. We're not right over it. Yeah. There you go. It's beeping. 
So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. What does it sound like? <laughs> Can you hear me? And you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, that's good. <laughs> My laughter. Folks, what an image of how people respond when they hear the first time that God loves them. And they really hear it. You know, people ask me all the time, how do I witness to somebody that's lost? What do I say to them? You can just tell them that God loves them. I love to just say, hey, friend, did you know God loves you? And he cares about you? And he has a plan for you? I tell people that so many times, and they'll say, no, he doesn't. I say, oh, yes, he does. He loves you, and he's seeking you, and wants to find you. And he wants to draw you into a relationship with himself. That's what we're called to do today is to join in that mission. You might say, Rick, I struggle so much to tell people. I just spaz off when it comes time to speak. Listen, I get that. I get it. So here's what we, we do at Christ Fellowship, we pastors. If you will invest in relationships, tens of thousands of them that you can invest in, in all of the relationships that you can invest in, in, in all these people at Christ Fellowship, thousands of us can invest in 10,000 lives. If you'll invite them here, we will do what you struggle to do, and that is to give them the message of the gospel. We see it every week, don't we? People who hear it for the first time and the reaction that they have to it, it's like hearing it for the very first time, and it changes their life when they're found. By the way, we found Rebecca. <laughs> we found her, yeah. It's a long story. I won't drag you through it. But let me tell you, when, when I found Rebecca, I threw my arms around her. I didn't know whether to yell at her for, for getting lost. I didn't. I hugged her, and we rejoiced. With that in mind, listen again to this passage. Verse 5 says, And when he had found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Verse 7, I tell you in the same way, there will be more, what? More joy, where? In heaven over one sinner who repents. Over one sinner who gets you want, you want to know what causes heaven to throw a party? You want to know what causes God who is in heaven, the angels to rejoice? It's when people get saved. It's when the lost are found. It's when you and I engage in that, in that mission and bring them. You know, we don't read much about God's joy. <laughs> you read the Bible. You know, we can please God. We can obey God. But here's one way the Bible says that you can bring joy to God. You want to do something in your life that brings joy to God. Reach out to those who are lost. Let them hear, maybe for the first time, God loves you. I'm not here to preach at you, but God loves you. He cares deeply about you. 
and he has a plan for your life. Again, for some people, they've never really heard that message. And again, if you struggle to do that, just, just invite them here. In fact, I want to encourage you to pick up these, these invite cards on your way out. We've got them at every campus. Just pick one up. I love it. When I go through any line, McDonald's, Publix, I'm always giving those to people and saying, hey, come to Christ Fellowship. It'll change your life forever. Invest in relationships and invite. By the way, isn't Christmas time one of those times when lost people's hearts are more open than ever? Let's invest and invite. Tell them, invite them. By the way, maybe you're here today and you'd say, Rick, I'm that lost sheep. That's me. I'm on the side of a cliff. I'm in danger of falling into eternal hell. I know it. Listen, if that's you, that shepherd is reaching for you. He loves you. But that sheep has to allow the shepherd to take him and to save him. And you have to do the same. You say, Rick, what do I, what do, I do to be saved? The Bible says this. Here's what you do to let Christ save you. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued. How do you get saved? How do you get found? The Bible says all you have to do is call on him, and he'll save you. Why don't you do that today, right there where you're seated? Christ Fellowship, if you're pulling for those who, who need to be found today, would you let them know it? Yeah. Let's all bow our heads. Today, and if you want to be saved today, call upon the Lord right where you're seated. In the quiet of this moment, you might be saying, Rick, I'm not sure what to say. I don't, I don't know how to, to talk to God. Well, listen, let me help you in this moment. Let me help you. You pray. I'm going to lead you with a prayer. And you pray this prayer to God. It's not a poem. It's not a scripted prayer. You pray it to him because he's listening with all of his heart. You pray this, Father, dear, this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I am that lost sheep. I feel like I'm so far away from you in my sins. And I need help. I need to be saved. And so right now, Lord, I confess my sins to you. I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive all of my sins. To wash them away in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I ask you to save my soul, to save my life, and to give me everlasting life. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for finding me and saving me. And thank you for giving me eternal life. May I from this day forward spend the rest of my life following you, being led by you, 
and loving you with all my heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Christ Fellowship, if you're glad for all of those who prayed that, would you let them know it? Yes, we are so excited for you. Now listen, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you prayed that prayer today, you are now a child of God. Nothing can take that away from you. You've been given, yeah, eternal life. And you're not on probation. It's not how good you are after you do this. You'll sin. You'll have failures. But you'll always be his child. But I want to ask you to do something now that's going to take a little more courage. You're still a child of God whether you do this or not. But you know, one of the things our Lord loves is he loves it when we let other people know that we love him. I always tell you, I wear this ring to let the world know that I love Rhonda. I want the world to know that. And I'm going to ask you in a minute to let the world know, if you prayed that prayer, that you love him. And here's how I'm going to ask you to do that. We're going to sing this, this song, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus. And when we sing it, I'm going to ask you, yeah, to get up out of your seat, wherever you're seated, and to make your way right down here to the front. And I'm going to be down here to meet you. It'll give me a chance to greet you. I also want to give you a brand new copy of the Word of God, a brand new Bible that we want to put in your hand to get you started in the right way. But this will be your way of saying, He found me today. He saved me today. And I want the world to know it. So I'm coming down to the bottom right here. And I want you to meet me. And I want to shake your hand. By the way, by the way, Everybody who got saved and wants to come, they're nervous about it. So why don't you be the first one out of your seat? Because when you get out of your seat, you'll give everybody else the courage to follow you. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand together. Let's sing this song. You come as we sing together. I'll meet you right here. today. Let him know it. Be sure to shake his hand. Hey, Christ Fellowship, I love you. Bring people to the new Christmas series. They'll hear about our Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. I love you.